Dababe. So some last words from Seattle, he said. <laughs> yes. The, at the end of every retreat, he does this. You know, Bjorgina, the ask can pip pim yao yi do pip say that support the along. I may so stop the everybody yogi along to the Firstly, he wants to thank everybody who made this retreat possible. IMS, the staff, the support staff, and and all the yogis. Yogi, atubare. And the yogis have practiced diligently. All of you. So, and although the retreat is over, he said the practice is not over. Meditation is not over. He said, please, don't let it be over. <laughs> he said he always says this. Delusion loves this line when it hears that the retreat has ended. <laughs> yeah, because the way we usually say it to ourselves, well, in Burmese is, you know, we've finished meditating. <laughs> yes. So, so it sounds like if the the meditation practice has ended, then it's time for the defilements to come out and play again. <laughs> the defilements look at the yogis and say, you want to practice? All right. How long do you want to practice? One month? Two months? Three months? All right, I'll leave you alone. <laughs> and then, then it's my turn. <laughs> and it's really their turn. <laughs> he said it's true. So please don't. Don't let the practice end. Don't let meditation be finished. He said he went for long, long retreats when he was younger, six months, eight months, ten months. And um, long retreats, but he says, once he finished the retreat, he says he was back to square one. <laughs> yeah, he didn't change. He didn't change his life. I told While he was practicing in retreat, he says, yes, his mind was better. But because he didn't continue practice at home, then the mind went back to where it was before. So, the I 
So the very nature of meditation is that we have to meditate all the time. Sila, Samadhi, Panya, Noble Eightfold Path. He says, all these must be, we must be walking on that path all the time, practicing all those factors all the time. The Buddha always reminded his followers to not be heedless, to not forget that all things are impermanent, that mind and matter are impermanent, and to to always um, have that in mind. In other words, to always have the Dhamma in mind. He didn't say when to have the Dhamma in mind. He just said, have the Dhamma in mind. Be, so, don't be heedless. And if he just said, do not be heedless, it means all the time. And that's because the Buddha understood the how harmful delusion is. Because when awareness and wisdom are not present, delusion is automatically always present. But if one's delusion is in and has opened the door, he says, then all the other defilements can troop in. And this, this particular aspect of meditation that, it, that you need to practice all the time for it to, to be alive and to be giving benefits, he says that becomes most apparent to someone who does continually practice all the time, that you can't stop. For someone who is practicing all the time, the, the depth of the meaning of do not stop practicing or you have to practice all the time, um, yeah, the depth of meaning for that person is great. His teacher always reminded him when he finished a retreat and went home. His teacher would always say, continue practicing, continue practicing. But he never did. (laughs) So he got into deep trouble. And when he was in the deepest trouble, then he tried to practice at home. And when he began to practice continuously at home is when he began to realize why you need to keep continuing to practice all the time. He says, to, to grow in the Dharma, we need to be close to the Dharma, like, like a close friend. Um, and we need, it's only when we are close to, in such 
um, close communication with the Dharma all the time that we can grow in the Dharma, he says. Otherwise, he says, there, there's not much growth. If, if we are not always living with the Dharma, he says, how can the Dharma grow? Siyadu feels that there is three, three, three kinds of wisdom that, that we really need. And the first wisdom is the wisdom of understanding how to do right practice. So knowing what right practice is, that if um, adhere to steadily will lead to the flowering of insight. And the second kind of wisdom we need is the understanding of how to keep the insights that we have developed alive, that they continue to to um, be alive in our lives, in our minds. And the third understanding is how to then not just um, and the third understanding is to to understand how to continue practicing to then develop it, develop even deeper levels of insight. Mm-hmm. He, he gives the analogy of knowing how to run a business, of knowing how to make money. So first, it's knowing how to use your capital to start making money. And then it's knowing how to maintain your cash flow, so to speak. And then the, the third stage of business is knowing how to expand your business. The yogis here have had insights. You know how to practice so that insights will come. He's he's heard in the interviews how many of you have practiced and have have had insights. So the second bit starts to come into play. How do you keep those insights alive, continuing to live in your life. For an insight to not fade, for the understanding of the insight to not fade in our minds, we have to allow that understanding to arise over and over again in our minds. And so you have to continue practicing the way you have been practicing here. So I know so much. And so once you're able to maintain um, and keep alive the insights you've already had and continue your practice, 
Um, he says, then it gets. 不产生，不产生种表现。我是想胡话说。So just like, so just like money, he says.、Um, <laughs> so once you, once you have maintained some level of capital, he says, then you can grow it even further. อะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุลอะกุล
if you add up the hours that you are actually mindful, that would be a different picture. So he says we, our tendency is to think of right effort as putting in a lot of effort in the present moment. But he says right effort is actually about persistence, perseverance, staying the long haul. Let me show you. Let me show you. Not giving up. Never stopping. Keep on working. That's real right effort. The way we work, he says we can, you know, we're willing to put a lot of effort into a small amount of time in the hope of getting some result, reward. That's how greed does things. But wisdom looks at the long term. There's no hurry, but it will not rest. The more we understand the forces of nature and how they work, the more we begin to rely on the laws of nature to let things unfold. So he's using this word nature over and over again. He says it's not for nothing. When something becomes your nature or second nature to you, as we say in English, it means that the momentum of that is very strong in you, that it has become your nature. He said, people ask him, how long should we practice Yadu? And he says, if you really want to know, he says, look at your mind now. How much, how natural is it for the defilements to be in the mind? unnoticed to you. And he said, and you've got to turn that whole paradigm upside down so that what's natural and unnoticed and always going on in your mind is awareness, samadhi, and wisdom, the way the defilements are now. Does that make you depressed or want to make you press forward and... Go the distance. <laughs> he says sometimes it's hard to tell the truth because he's worried that he'll, <laughs> you know, make it sound difficult. Yeah, but it's the truth. <laughs> to, to turn the momentum of the mind, the current mind, completely around so that it's going in a completely in the direction of the wholesome rather than unwholesome. He says, can you imagine how much practice that's going to take? He says, now, don't look, because liking and disliking is going to arise. <laughs> we hear something and liking and disliking is here. We smell, liking and disliking is here. That's nature to us now. 
But when we look and awareness and wisdom is present, and that's normal, he said, then you can begin to trust that awareness and wisdom. He says, no, when there's contact at the six sense doors, liking and disliking arise spontaneously or instantly, and awareness is crawling after it to catch up. <laughs> he says, yeah, crawling hard. <laughs> but it's not impossible. It's definitely possible to get there. When he became a monk, he it was not with the intention to teach. He never thought he would teach. But his teacher said, you must tell people what you understand. So he did. And then he saw that a lot of people did not believe that it's possible to practice like on retreat when you're back home. So that's also something that he wants to convince us of. And so that motivated him to continue teaching because he really wants us to know that it's possible to do it at home. When there is skillful practice. The only reason why we are not able to transplant it into our lives is because of lack of skill. We don't know yet or we are not practicing enough yet. In the Buddha's time, there were no retreat centers. People listened to Dharma talks, they went home, continued with their lives while practicing trying to insert practice into their lives. Mm. He thinks that, well, the people in that time must have had a lot of faith because, well, they had the Buddha himself. (laughs) (laughs) So they must have really put in this superlative effort when they got, got home. And when they went to listen to Dharma talks, it was to learn how to practice. And the only place they had to practice was back in their lives. And he's heard that many people got enlightened. Many lay people got enlightened in the Buddhist time. So what is the difference between us and the human beings in that time? He doesn't think there could be much difference. Possibly, he said, the difference is that it's of faith and effort. Um, maybe they tried a lot harder. <laughs> he says, possibly when they didn't understand how to practice, they'd go back to the monastery, ask for more instructions and then go go back and continue practicing. 
So skillfulness, skillful, skill in understanding, skill and understanding of how to do right practice is very important. Most of us become skillful at um, the first foundation of mindfulness, Kayanupasana, foundation of the body, um, mindfulness of the body, and we become skillful at mindfulness of feelings, um, but we don't become skillful at mindfulness of the mind. So the third and fourth foundations we're not that skillful at. And he says, um, particularly if we only have time for short retreats, he says short retreats give us enough time to calm our minds a bit. We go through the first foundation, the second foundation. We haven't got really established in the third or the fourth, and then we go home, and if we don't practice, he says we come back for the next retreat, and we have to start all over again. Right, okay. He says, um, practice in our lives is like, like rowing against a strong current. And he says, even as we row, it seems to be hard to gain ground on the strong current. So we have to practice a lot harder to go against the current. And even when we do the first foundation of mindfulness, he says, we mostly know body movements and body sensations. We haven't even covered all six or five sense doors yet. And so, because we're not skillful at all the physical sense doors, um, he says then when we get out in life, the skill is not there to bring mindfulness into every activity. He knows that most yogis have not had much practice in, in being aware of seeing, for example. So when we become skillful at all six sense doors, um, and not just skillful, really, like have a handle on it, he says, that's when we find ourselves confident about practicing while at home in our lives. At home, there's, you know, in our lives, we can't control what goes on around us. So it's, the match is truly open. 
We don't know what circumstances or situations are going to come. Yeah, we can't predict what objects or people or situations are going to come hit us. So, so when the awareness and the wisdom are not always present and ready, like on standby, he says, then the defilements are allowed to arise over and over again. We just can't get peace. And then we can't make inroads into the practice. And he says, even if we forget about wisdom for a while, he says, we're not even able to really maintain just awareness and samadhi in our lives continuously. How long can we maintain the peace, the stability of our mind in our lives? The Buddha said that when there are waves on the surface of a lake, you can't, you can't like see a reflection. When there is um, turbulence in the water, under the surface, you won't be able to... Um, see your reflection or when there's dust or dirt or leaves which have fallen on the surface of the water you can also not see your reflection so when when what so the mind is like that if it cannot find that stability he says then then wisdom cannot arise and if we but if we could maintain that stability of the mind that would mean that awareness is present, stability is present, and the longer we're able to maintain it, the more we're giving an opportunity for wisdom to arise. Now he says, you, you all know how to watch the body, how to watch the mind. Continue watching. When he was practicing at home, when he began practicing at home, he was suffering so much. His only question was, why is the mind suffering? And because he asked that question, what resulted was that he just kept watching the mind all the time. At first it was just suffering. He didn't know why, but it was suffering. But slowly from watching that continuously, the awareness grew, the samadhi grew, um, the mind became most peaceful, there was less suffering. And when the mind began to have more peace, then he made the peace the, the main object for his Awareness. That became the anchor for his mind, knowing the peacefulness. 
And knowing the peaceful mind, he said, the the steady mind, he was also aware of everything else that was happening in the mind. So whatever contact he he made with external or internal um, experience, he was always his eye was always on the the peacefulness and whether it was getting disturbed or maintained. He says, when you know peaceful mind, it continues to be peaceful and becomes more and more peaceful. When you don't know peaceful mind, then the mind starts um, breaking down into chaos. But once you know the agitated mind, and continue to know the agitated mind, it starts to become peaceful again. But if you do not know the agitated mind and the confused mind, it gets more agitated and more confused. But once you again know the agitation or the confusion and continue to know it, it will be, begin to clarify, become clear again. And when you know peaceful mind continuously, he says then when the peace is disturbed and you're knowing everything happening that's happening in the mind, you also see immediately what thought preceded the dis, you know the change in the state of peaceful mind. Yeah. So even if we don't watch a lot of objects, just know the state of our mind all the time. It can work. He says, that's, that's, that's the main guy, he said. Because when you know the state of your mind, the feeling, he says, you're knowing the body, the, the feeling, the mind. Yeah, all at once. No need to go after many objects. Just know the state of your mind. Know it's peaceful or not peaceful, how it is. And, and keep that as your anchor as you know everything else. As you do everything else. He says, and if you do this every day, you will become skillful at it. And it's not that it's not possible. You definitely can. Just be a little patient. One, two, three years. A little patience. So if we practice continuously, he says we will taste the benefits of awareness and wisdom. And when we've tasted it enough, he says the Dhamma will, will, will lead us along. 
He says, it'll be an easy ride. He says it was when he practiced like that that he finally understood what the Buddha said when he said, if you look after the Dharma, the Dharma will look after you. Or if you take care of the Dharma, the Dharma will take care of you. When you practice long term, then practice becomes nature. And when practice becomes nature, it becomes your nature to understand nature. Because the Dhamma is nature. So he he encourages all of you to please continue practice. He says, you all are very intelligent. (laughs) You have lots of wisdom. He has seen. And he believes that you all will take the practice home. And and he makes an aspiration for all of you to be able to practice at home and to enjoy all the fruits and benefits of your practice. Anything else? Please remember to return your room keys. See, now you ring the bell. That's why the bell's there. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, I didn't say anything. Sarah was leaving at 11 o'clock to go to the airport, but he said, because he didn't want to do a Q&A, but he said, um, until 11 o'clock, everyone is free to come up and speak to him. <laughs> so go for it. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.